Here again, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Keep your finger here. It says this. It says, The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open, and the clouds dropped down the dew. There again, we see that God's work is his work of making creation an ordered place where life is possible, right? The clouds dropping down the dew in that last line. In an agricultural society, you needed that to happen in order for there to be life. Keep that passage open and look with me in your bulletin at the second to last passage printed there. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Stick with me here. I'm making you work. Sorry. This is worth it. This is worth it. Look at, look at Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. It says this. It says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Look back at Proverbs 3, 19 and 20 again. Look at the parallel. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, he established the heavens. By understanding, the house is established. Verse 20, by his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches, right? You can see the the clear parallel between these two passages. What's going on there? Well, Proverbs 24 here, it's about human work, right? Specifically, the work of building a home, establishing a house's layout, laying its foundation, making it firm, making it secure. Likely, this verse is also talking about the work that's necessary to establish a household, right? To keep a household going, filling the rooms of that house with things that are necessary and pleasant for life, What's the point of a house, right? It's, a, it's an environment suitable for life. So what Proverbs is doing here is it's drawing a parallel between God's work in setting up order so that life can flourish and our work symbolized in the building of a house, right? The point seems to be that like God's work, our work is meant to create order so life can flourish. That's what we're doing when we work. We are creating order so that life, so that we and other people can flourish. Let me give you a few examples of work that that illustrate the power of this definition that I think Proverbs leads us toward. First, the work of the food industry. I would guess that most of us ate breakfast today. I would also guess that very few of us ate a breakfast that we sort of caught or killed uh, or, or picked ourselves, right? I got my breakfast from the, from the grocery store. And that's a huge blessing, right? My life, there's, there's flourishing in my life right now. I don't have low blood sugar because the people in the food industry worked to order creation so that I can get food that was grown all over the world at a store like three minutes from my house for $11, right? And $11 was not what I spent on breakfast this morning, right? That's breakfast for like a week. But right, the, the food industry through farming 
and driving tractors and shipping produce and organizing groceries and checking out customers, right? That work has organized the world in a way that leads to breakfast, right? To, to our flourishing. Uh, second example, the road construction industry, right? My guess is that all of us got to church by driving on roads, right? The people in that industry literally ordered or organized the physical components of the world so that we can get around. And look, we're flourishing. We're all in church. Praise God. We got here safe. Third example, the work of civil government, right? Most of us probably drove through 11,000 traffic lights to get here this morning, at least one, right? We, we drove along roads with lanes and with speed limits, right? Those are illustrations of order created by civil government's authority so that we can flourish, so that life can happen, so that people don't collide every time there's an intersection. Fourth example, the work of parenting, right? Parents give their small children order. They bring order to their lives. They, they feed them regular meals, they clean their diapers. They keep the diaper orderly, right? They, they give them regular naps so that they grow, so that they flourish, so that they remain healthy. And as, as their kids age, parents bring the disorderly behavior and character of their children back into order so that they can flourish, right? The creation of order so that life can flourish. That's work, right? Parenting is work. I don't, I've never done it, but I've, I'm told, Right, the, think about example number five, the work of teaching. What do you do when you teach? You take information about the world and you order it, you structure it, you present it in a way that is digestible and helpful, in a way that leads to learning. Or you might think about it this way, you help people order their view of reality. You order people's minds so that they flourish, so that they see the world more clearly. Work is the creation of order that leads to flourishing. Sixth example, the work of prayer. Back when we studied through Colossians in the fall, we saw that Paul describes prayer as work. In prayer, what are you doing? You might think about it this way. You are looking at the world, you're looking at yourself, you're looking at the needs of others, and you are bringing them to God. You are ordering them before him by your words. Even if you're sort of dumping them right in front of him, if your prayer is not organized, that's okay if your prayer is not organized, you're ordering your concerns before God so that he can help you, so that he can bring flourishing, so that he can bless. Seventh, final example, the work of serving in the children's ministry for which there's a volunteer training on March 12th after the service, right? Let the reader understand. The creation of order that leads to flourishing, right? What are you doing? You're taking the truths of God's word and you are getting them into the minds of malleable children so that they can know God, so that they can flourish, you're keeping them alive while the service is happening so that the service can be more orderly than it otherwise would, right? So that we can flourish as we listen to the sermon. The creation of order that leads to life flourishing. That is what our work is. See, we, we tend to have a fairly negative view of work, right? We work because we can't get paid to play. But that's not how Proverbs sees it. Right? All over the verses from Proverbs that Emily read for us, we see this principle that ordinarily work leads to flourishing. Work leads to blessing. 
Look at these. Proverbs 10, verse 4. Look at the second line. It says, the hand of the diligent makes rich. Proverbs 12, verse 11. First line. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. In an agricultural society, these are images for what you want, for flourishing, for plenty, for enough, for good results. Proverbs 14, verse 4, second half, abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. 14, verse 23, first half, in all toil there is what? There is profit. Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Abundance, riches, plenty of bread, abundant crops, profit. These things come through work, through the expenditure of energy to put things in order in such a way that life can flourish. Here's the point. The way that God has set up the world, good things, flourishing, blessing, are usually the result of work. Ordinarily, the good things that you and I were designed to enjoy, they come to us through work. That's how God set up the world. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3, which is not in the bulletin, sorry, says this. 10 verse 3 says, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. The Lord is sovereign. He's, he doesn't let the righteous go hungry. He's able to supply their needs, the needs of his people. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. Well, how does he do that? What's the very next verse? 10.4. This is in your bulletin. It says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 10.3. The Lord doesn't let the righteous go hungry in his sovereignty. How does he do that? Well, ordinarily, what's the next verse? The hand of the diligent makes rich. Ordinarily, blessing and flourishing come through work. That's how God set the world up. So, brother, sister, do you want to bring flourishing to yourself, to those around you, right? to your relationships, to your family life? to your own abilities, right? to your studies, to your finances, to your walk with the Lord, to your church? Do you want to bring good, blessing, flourishing? Well, ordinarily, the way that that happens is through work, through using energy to create order that leads to blessing, to flourishing. What is God's work? God's work is the creation of order that leads to flourishing. Our work is a miniature, a picture, a reflection of that reality. So how should we work? Third question, what does Proverbs say that wise or skillful work looks like? If we want to bring blessing or flourishing into our own lives and the lives of our neighbors to the glory of God, work is required. How should we do it? Five features of wise work we see throughout Proverbs. Five features of wise work. First, very briefly, very simply, wise work is honest work. Wise work is honest work. Look at the very first verse listed in the bulletin. It says, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. 
really simple principle, right? If your work is wickedness, involves, demands wickedness, ultimately that doesn't lead to flourishing. Proverbs doesn't give us sort of a thoroughgoing business ethics lecture. It just simply kind of reminds us that ultimately you don't flourish in God's world by doing evil. So just keeping it really simple here, dishonesty toward your employer or your employees or your customers, stealing from anybody, breaking the law, cheating on a test, manipulating those that you work with to get more out of them, working in a role that clearly doesn't promote human flourishing, selling cocaine, to give a super extreme example. These things can seem like viable strategies to get work done, to, to get flourishing out of the world. But Proverbs reminds us these are strategies that God's committed to opposing. Treasures gained by wickedness do not ultimately profit. Wise work is honest work. God will see that in the day of judgment, no one gets away ultimately with anything. Wise work is honest work. Second feature of wise work in Proverbs. Wise work is diligent work. Wise work is diligent work. What is diligence? What does it mean to be diligent? Let me illustrate it. A moment ago, we read Proverbs chapter 10, verse 4. It says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. The image of the hand is actually a really helpful illustration there. So picture the hand of a hard-working carpenter as he's working. What's his hand doing? He's holding materials, right? He's lifting things. He's using a measuring tape. He's taking down measurements. He's handling tools with care and precision and with the right amount of force required. His hand is active. It's engaged in the work. It's busy, it's going from task to task, it's careful, it's switched on in the way that it's doing the work. The the hand is the image for the attitude of the person, the attitude of the diligent person. Uh, Diligence means being active, being attentive to the job, moving from this task that needs to be done to the next task that needs to be done, even being careful or meticulous when that's required, expending effort, leaning into the work, the diligent hand. Now picture the other kind of hand, the slack hand, uh, kind of more literally a loose or a flimsy hand. So right when I wake up in the morning, I don't know if I have low blood pressure or what, but my hand is just like totally slack. I was pouring this apple cider vinegar into water to like drink in the morning because it's supposed to help wake you up. And I was like, I was like barely able to hold the apple cider vinegar bottle. You know, I'm like, I can barely turn my alarm off with my hand, like the slack hand, right? That's an image for slothfulness in work, not tending to activity, right? Inattentive, unwilling to put forth or sustain great effort, not careful, right? The the message of Proverbs is that whatever you're doing, the kind of work that brings blessing, that leads to flourishing, is diligent work. It's the diligent hand that makes rich. When our work is not diligent, when it's marked by sluggardliness or laziness, Proverbs says that we forfeit the flourishing. Proverbs 12, 27, 
It says, whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game. That's interesting. So the picture seems to be of a man who successfully obtains game, or he hunts an animal. He kills an animal. He, he's got game. He, he kills an animal, and he has raw meat, right? But in his slothfulness, his failure, his failure in diligence, which in this case is a, is a failure of follow-through, he kills the animal, but he, won't, he doesn't get around to roasting it, right? So it, it does him no good. A few weeks ago when we talked about the sluggard in Proverbs 6, we, we thought about this verse. It says, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish. Right? His hand is active and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Right? His, his activity does him no good because there's no follow-through. Right? The sluggard buys the fitness equipment but never uses it. The sluggard starts the project but won't finish it. Right? The sluggard makes the plans and never actualizes them. Right? No diligence, no follow-through means no flourishing. Wise work is honest work. Wise work is diligent work. Third feature of wise work in Proverbs. Wise work is smart work. Wise work is smart work. That might sound redundant. Let me explain what I mean. Again, it's a really simple point, uh, but Proverbs makes it repeatedly. In wise work... Thinking comes before doing. Uh, analysis comes before effort. Planning comes before performing. Look at Proverbs 21.5. This is in your bulletin. It says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The, the plans of the diligent are what lead to abundance. Right? Raw hasty, unintelligent effort is, is not enough, right? You need plans. You need careful thought. You need strategies shaped by wise counsel in order for your work to lead to blessing, to lead to flourishing. Uh, smart work means it, it doesn't just matter that you work. It also matters when you work. Look at Proverbs 10.5. Proverbs 10.5 is on the notice sheet, the bulletin. It says, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So in an, in an agricultural society, you can't just decide to do whichever step of farming you want at any point, right? There's a, there's a timing to it. There's a time to harvest, and there's a time to plow, and there's a time to sow, and there's a time to reap. The principle that there's a, there's a wise time for each kind of work, it's true on, on sort of a small scale, and on a large scale, so on a small scale, I just personally, I often find that the morning is a really good time for me to get intense study done. That's not normative in any way for anyone else, but I've just found that if I'm going to have to study intensely, which I, I do to uh, study God's Word, often the morning is, is the best time for that. In a few weeks, I'll have a break from preaching on Sunday morning, and I find that when, I, when I'm not preaching on a Sunday, that's a great week for me to get a different kind of work done. But on, on a large scale, right, whatever of season of life you find yourself in, Proverbs would say there are, there are opportunities available, available to you that probably won't be available in later seasons. So if you're here this morning and you're a young person, first 
love the Franconia Baptist Church youth. So glad you guys are here. If you're here this morning and you're a young person, you have an amazing opportunity to get the Bible into your mind. The scripture that I memorize these days, I forget it. The scripture that I memorized when I was young, it's in there by the grace of God. If you're young, you have an amazing opportunity to get the Bible into your mind. If you're not married, or you don't have kids yet, but you want to do that one day, well, if you do that one day, then it's the case that right now, you have opportunities to steward your flexibility to the glory of God in ways that will go away later if God gives you those things. Right? If you have children at home, again, I, I don't know anything about this personally. I can't speak to the specifics. Uh, but I'm told that whatever age your child is, there are like uniquely important things that the child should be learning in that stage. And I don't know any of those things, but that's what parents tell me is that, you know, when your kid is this age, it's really important to focus on that. Because if they don't learn it now, it's going to be a pain for them to learn it later, right? Wise work is smart work. It knows the right work at the right time. So friend, whatever stage of life you find yourself in, what is the, what is the God-glorifying work that's especially appropriate for you in this time, in this season? Is it your profession? Is it your studies? Is it your family? Is it pouring yourself into specific relationships? Is it a specific kind of service? Is it steeping yourself in God's word? Is it prayer? Right? If, you, if you don't know the answer to that question, it could be that wise counsel from other people could be a part of discerning that. Wise work is work that brings blessing. It's smart work. It's work we plan. It's work that's appropriate in a given season. Wise work is honest, it's diligent, it's smart. A fourth and, sorry, final feature of wise work, oh, the sermon on work, I didn't fully edit my manuscript to make sure I said there were four features, not five features. Four features of wise work. Fourth and final feature of wise work. Wise work is done in light of the end. Wise work is done in light of the end. The way that Proverbs motivates us to work wisely is by pointing us to the end result of wise work. So if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, another wisdom book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes makes the point that the process of work itself is a really good thing. Ecclesiastes says work itself, the process of working is a gift from God. It can be extremely painful in a world broken by sin, but it says to see it as a gift, and if we can, to do it with our might and to enjoy it. But when Proverbs talks about work, Proverbs motivates us to look at the end product, to think about the end result that comes from work at the gain that's to be had. You've seen this in the passages we've read throughout, right? Proverbs is always holding in front of us the profit, the abundance, the crops, the harvest, the well-built house that's the result of our work. What we need to keep going in our work is a clear view of the end. We began this morning by speaking about God's work. 
Uh, and as Proverbs does, we focused on God's work in creation. But the Bible talks about another work of God, and that work is the work of redemption. You see, throughout our time this morning, I've used the word flourishing numerous times. Right? Flourishing. Flourishing is when all is right in the world. Flourishing is when things are well with us and in us. And our work can produce a little bit of flourishing for a little while. But friends, what could be clearer that although we live in a world of billions of people working day and night, we don't live in a world of flourishing. That's clear from our lives. It's clear from our hearts. It's clear from our relationships. It's clear from our jobs. It's clear from the news. And the teaching of the Bible is that the reason that we don't live in a world full of flourishing is that we have all failed in the most important work of all, which is the work of worshiping the God who has made us, of ordering our souls toward God in trust and love and worship, ordering our lives around His glory, knowing Him, loving Him, serving Him, being like Him. We have been lazy. We have been slack and disinterested in our attitude toward God. And the disorder of our rebellion against God has fractured our world. But the good news of the Bible is that God's work isn't just to make the world. God's work includes the remaking of the world. It includes the work of redemption. The Bible teaches that 2,000 years ago, God sent his son, Jesus, to take on a human nature, to become a man, and to accomplish the work that none of us could do. And that work was to pay for the sins of God's people. See, Jesus lived the life of obedience to God that we should have lived. Jesus said that his food was to do his heavenly Father's work and to accomplish his will. There was nothing at all slack about the work of the Lord Jesus in rendering worship and love and obedience to his heavenly Father. But instead of enjoying the flourishing the life that he had earned through his work. Jesus died a criminal's death on a cross as a substitute to take on himself the payment for our sin against God, the penalty for our sins. As Jesus died on the cross, he absorbed in himself the wrath of God against sin that we had earned so that all who trust in him might be forgiven. Listen, if your work is hard and horrible and painful, Jesus knows what that's like. His, his work involved drinking up the wrath of God against sin. But listen, this is what the book of Hebrews tells us motivated Jesus to endure the work of the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus accomplished the work of redemption, the work of reconciling sinners like you and me to God because his eye was fixed on the end result. 
What was the end result? Hebrews says that it was the joy set before him. What was that joy? It was that after he died, after he had absorbed in himself the wrath of God against sin, he would be raised from the dead and seated at the Father's right hand with all authority in heaven and on earth given to him, and that his people would be forgiven so that they might be with him. Jesus endured the work of the cross because his eye was on the end that he might have and save you. That's how Jesus accomplished his wise work of redemption by working in light of the end. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, first let me just say how delighted we are that you're here. We hope you feel very welcome. Ironically, even though you're here on a morning when we're talking about work and how work brings flourishing, the most important kind of flourishing, eternal flourishing of a right relationship with God is something that your work and my work cannot bring about. We all have a desperate need for relationship with the God who made us, and we can't bring it about on our own. There's no work we can do to meet that need. Jesus has done that work. That's the good news of the Bible. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, your need, your great need is not for practical tips about wise work. Your great need is to trust the work of Jesus to reconcile you to God. Listen, if you'd like to learn more about what that means, I'd love to speak with you afterward, uh, after the service is over. Anyone you've seen up here, any of our members, please come talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about how to receive the flourishing of eternal life and forgiveness through the work of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, for those of us who do know Christ, who have been reconciled to God through the work of his son, Jesus, God calls us to keep our eyes fixed on the end. Yes, keep our eyes fixed on the proximate end that our flourish, our work can produce in this life. But ultimately, we're called to keep our eyes on the eternal reward that God promises to his people for their service to him. The Apostle Paul writes to the believers in Colossae who were slaves whose daily work was surely harder and more menial than any of ours. And when Paul writes to these slaves who believed in Jesus in Colossae, this is what he says to them. He says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward as your inheritance. I'm sorry, the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Listen, whatever the work that God has called you to do, whatever it looks like for you to bring flourishing to the glory of God, to those around you, the consistent message of the New Testament is that when Jesus returns in his lavish generosity, he will reward his people for their good works those whom he has forgiven on the basis of his own work, who have earned nothing before him because of his great kindness. When he comes back, he will say to those who have served him, 
well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Come and enter into the joy of your masters, your master. Proverbs urges us to keep our eyes on the end. It teaches us that in all toil there is profit. The gospel instructs us to keep our eyes on the eternal profit of serving and pleasing Jesus, who will reward the faithfulness of his people. Paul puts it like this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good. Literally, let us work good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. Let's pray that the Lord would strengthen us for that work until he comes. God, in your wisdom, you brought all things into existence. All life comes from you. God, and in your mercy, you have given eternal life through your son, Jesus. We thank you. We praise you for your work in creation, your work in redemption. God, I pray that you would help us to be people who are wise in our work like you are, Lord, who bring order to our lives, to the world around us, to the lives of others, so that we might flourish as your image bearers. Would we be eager to do others good through our work or to see how our work, even when it's frustrating, is a piece of your plan? Lord, would you make us wise in our work? Give us diligence. Help us to work thoughtfully. Lord, help us to work honestly before you. Keep our eyes fixed on the day when Jesus returns. Would you send him quickly, Lord? We ask these things in, in his name. Amen.